So thank you everybody. Thank you for being here with us in the middle of your lunch, at least if you're in Brazil. And we, we are we are now talking about legal technologies in this wonderful event. And I'm going to briefly introduce myself. I am uh, my name is Euclides. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Juit, which is a legal tech startup focused on uh, legal research. And I have a, a, a law school background, but I'm not a lawyer. Um, but I think that I'm going to 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 leave the time for for the the, the panelists to introduce themselves. So, please, Anna, Barbara, can we start it? Oh, Anna is here. Hello. Yeah. Hello, Anna. You're back here. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great, great. <clears throat> so, Barbara, would you would you mind starting? Yeah, no, definitely. Yourself? Awesome. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Barbara Rocha. I'm a lawyer from Fortaleza, Brazil, and I'm head of knowledge management and innovation at Rocha Marinho Salles Advogados, one of the biggest law firms based in the northeast of the country with 12 offices and 900 professionals across Brazil. Uh, we're currently handling over 250,000 claims for some of the largest corporations operating in Brazil in banking, telecom, retail, and other segments, uh, both in large-scale litigation as well as in strategic matters. And I started there as an intern uh, over 15 years ago. And after about 10 years working as a full-time uh, practicing attorney, handling cases in civil litigations, uh, I started to work closer to the managing partners, and I gradually transitioned to a more strategic role. So the reason why I'm here now is because I lead a, a cross-disciplinary team of professionals who are able to properly leverage legal technology, not only for the benefit of the attorneys of the firm and the firm itself, but also for the clients. So I'm happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to this conversation, and we're talking further about it during our panel. I guess you're muted, Deoclides. I'm sorry, I was muted. Uh, can you can you present yourself now, Anna, please? You're muted, you're muted. You need to unmic your your microphone. I'm sorry. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you, Carol and Magnus, to, for the invite. Uh, and I'm Anna Burbano. I'm a lawyer for, uh, but I'm also a political science professional. Uh, I have been practicing law 10 years, but uh, I also have a, a, a tech a professional development and so at the moment at this moment i'm legal engineer so i work for the incorporation of technology in a, in a law firm and i have been working in digitalization from 2008 and also i'm a phd candidate um, in international relations and uh, technology uh, mainly blockchain and ai so um, as you can see, I'm I'm involved in in, in, in several things regarding the intersection between uh, tech and and the legal the legal field. So uh, I think, uh, from my perspective, uh, we will 
we will face a huge change in our practice for the future in the future Awesome, awesome. Dennis, please. Okay, so I'm Dennis. Uh, I am a lawyer by background, so I've been in private practice and in-house for about uh, 20 years. Um, about two and a half years ago, I uh, left. Uh, I've worked mainly in large corporations, so I decided to do something a bit different. I left, went independent, and I've basically been doing two things. I've been consulting. Um, especially increasingly on contract process and contract design. Um, and I've also founded a contract automation startup called Mojoto. And uh, with Mojoto, basically, I'm taking everything I've done, know, and believe about contracts and wrapping it up in tech. So to really um, try and do something that's not just about digitization and automation, but really a more holistic uh, solution to the problem of better contracts and that's uh, you know so we're bringing in legal design and behavioral psychology and other aspects into this to basically make contracts look and work better but also to make people work better with contracts this is certainly a very big issue all around the world in the, in the legal scene and finally professor Giuliano can you introduce yourself Hello, everybody. I'm Giuliano Maragnon. I'm a lawyer. I'm a partner of Terraza uh, Advogados, which is a boutique law, for, law firm dedicated to uh, competition law, digital law, and data protection law. I'm also, as you said, a professor um, at the University of Sao Paulo Law School. My research is mainly focused on, on AI and law and uh, digital law. I'm also a member of the International Association uh, of the Executive Committee of the International Association of Artificial Intelligence and Law, which is an association uh, already created in, in the 80s, dedicated to this matter. Um, nowadays is the main in, in, in international association on this subject matter. And in 2017, I have created an association of research uh, on artificial intelligence and law here in Brazil, which is called Logorithm. And this association of research was uh, created together with my colleagues uh, at the University of Sao Paulo from the Faculty of Mathematics and uh, Computer Science and also of Engineering. And this association is dedicated to both fronts, uh, AI law, it means the regulation of AI, and also the application of AI uh, to the legal practice. Uh, more recently, I have been advising the National Council, National Council, Council of Justice regarding matters um, of access to judicial data, which is a relevant, very relevant issue for the law techs. Great. So we have a very mixed panel uh, mixed in here. We have uh, legal practitioners with the day-to-day -day activities from uh, traditional lawyers, I'm sorry to say like that. We have a legal tech specialist. We have a legal entrepreneur and a consultancy for in a, a, a very related to the academic field in, in, this, in this panel. So I would like to, to, to first ask for you briefly to 
to to see how do you define the, the the maturity of the legal tech landscape in your country? We have people here from Brazil, Italy, and, and Spain, and I would like to hear a little about uh, how do how do you see that the, the maturity of it? If it's an, in a novice stage, if it's a mature stage, and is there a common sense for legal practitioners of how hard legal tech will impact the legal space in your country? Barbara, I just <laughs> decided. Yeah, okay. Glad to begin. Uh, so I knew a lot before COVID, of course. And whenever I talked about the landscape of legal tech in Brazil, uh, some people would say it seems like a peak into, into the future for them. Because uh, uh, something that other countries plan to see in the near future, we already have unfolded here. For example, clients that dictation the cost for as a law firm perspective, we have this uh, clients dictate the cost structure. So we, we transition from like flat uh, for paying by the hour by flat fees. So this made uh, tech adoption important for law firms. Not only a, a, an interesting thing to have, but a must have in order to, to to become a player. So we see this like the, 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 the situation, uh, was good enough for legal tech companies to come to Brazil and the, the rise of legal tech companies in Brazil are something that we can see. We, I, I saw some numbers on the internet. We have like 30 law techs in 2017 and in 2019 we had 150. So it's a huge leap of, of number of legal techs and the, the numbers of, of the, I'll leave something, but Giuliano can say more about the, the, the legal, the, the judiciary structure because he works closer to the CNJ, but the numbers in Brazil are huge. We have a backlog of 80 million lawsuits. So it's kind of the perfect scenario for the rise of legal techs. One thing that I particularly see as uh, kind of until recently, we had uh, the traditional mindsets uh, still very uh, being a key issue in Brazil because the court proceedings are, re are arranged by each state judiciary and court structure varying across the 27 states. We have a continental country, so it's very expensive for legal techs to build a more uh, fancy technology to to gather all of these things and to approach all of the things. But technology is very, I see as a very important, not only for law firms, but for the judiciary itself. Awesome. Professor, do you have something to add? And what do you think about it, the, the maturity of the legal tax in Brazil? Well, first of all, I see a great potential to the development of this market of law tax in Brazil. Uh, this is due to two very important facts. First, on the demand side, as Barbara has pointed out, we have a huge market of uh, lawyers and law firms uh, and uh, facing a judicial process which is long and there, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for automation and use of uh, AI tools. So there is a huge demand. And second, on the supply side, I believe that Brazil is one of the countries with the highest degree of digitalization of the process. So there is a lot of raw material which is publicly accessible for the law, by the law techs. So if you get together 
all the raw material that you would need in the supply side, and it, it can be accessed uh, uh, with uh, relatively easily. Uh, and on the other hand, you have a huge demand. I see a lot of potential. And already in the landscape, in the Brazilian market of Lotex, there are already some scale-ups that has uh, uh, been on the market already for five or six years, and they are very mature. And there is a, a great amount of startups that are entering into this, this market and finding opportunities, creating new products, and also um, the internal development in law uh, firms of some also some initiatives of application of uh, technology. Oh, great, great! We really, indeed, we have some uh, some of the biggest law firms. They they are developing some internal technologies, and they sometimes they are even better from <laughs> technologies from the tech startups. So this is this is a huge important thing. And hand, and and Dennis, how do you think that the scenario is currently had in Italy? Or London. I don't know in which country you are on. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, I, I live in Italy, and we're sort of um, we we span the t uh, Italy and the UK. So the company, uh, so a lot of the work I do is actually for clients in the UK and Europe, and the startup Majoto is actually based in the um, in, in the UK. So uh, I mean, look, I'll give you a quick perspective on Italy, and then maybe a few words about the UK and Europe more broadly. Um, I mean, look, Italy. Uh, is, is, I think, ultimately uh, fairly behind the curve compared to a lot of uh, countries, definitely compared to the UK. Um, it's something that at the end of last year, there was uh, a lot of excitement and a, a growing kind of wave of interest. And you see it with the conferences and the companies that were starting to get reps in Italy. So you really felt like, like the wave was coming to Italy. But of course, with the COVID, That, that's just be, you know, everyone's just surviving um, right now. So um, that's really, I, I, I don't feel a lot is happening right now. But I do think next year is going to get exciting again um, with the, with the te legal tech scene uh, in Italy. You know, there are some um, uh, uh, law firms that have um, got together with, uh, with, with other organizations and are trying to sort of really grow it. So there's an, organiza an organization called Legal Tech Italia, um, which uh, has some of my friends uh, uh, in there who've organized this. They've, they're starting sort of to build that uh, kind of a legal tech map of Italian startups. You know, there's not a lot, but there are actually a few, a few dozen of Italian legal tech startups as well. Um, you can look, it out, look up on Legal Pioneer, which is uh, uh, another sort of uh, site where you can check out the startups. So there is stuff going on in Italy, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, so I, so I think, you know, next year, um, it's going to get more interesting. I think, of course, it's going to start with the bigger companies uh, with big needs and big and 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 you know the cash to do something. So, so banks and maybe pharmaceutical companies and things, uh, organizations like that, they're going to start um, to really look at it and perhaps sort of driving this um, forward. I mean, outside of Italy, I mean, look, UK we know is a very very mature market. I think um, it, it you know the rest of Europe. Of course, uh, you know, Germany, Holland, France, uh, Spain, Nordics, uh, a lot of um, stuff going on there. And interestingly enough, a lot of startups 
that have originated from outside and are now starting to enter the sort of the Anglo-Saxon market, which has been traditionally the big sort of driver of legal tech. And there's some really cool stuff coming out of um, uh, those other parts of Europe. So that's really good to see. Um, I think I think what I would say though is that there is there is a, a bit of a uh, there's a risk of a, a bit of a two tier system in the sense that like the bigger companies and those with money are, are really jumping into it and are starting to do something, especially post COVID. Um, but what I see is that a lot of the uh, uh, mid tier and smaller companies are, are kind of frozen, right? There, there's 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 not enough alignment and not enough budget to really move forward. So I do think there's a risk of a two tier system when it comes to uh, legal tech, not everyone having the same access to the tools and efficiency. I think that's that definitely needs to be uh, uh, solved. Um, and I guess the final comment I'd make is, you know, in some ways, the biggest impact that we've seen so much so far is from tech generally, not from legal tech. Right? If you think about, you know, uh, in COVID, lawyers finally discovering, you know, online meetings and Zoom and getting into, you know, uh, right? and, um, you know, Microsoft Teams kind of coming in and never jumping into that. And obviously Slack and things like that predated COVID, but we see, you know, the, the, the use of Slack and, and, and those sorts of uh, tools. You look at um, uh, whiteboarding tools like Miro, Canvas and others being used. So uh, in, in some ways, the, the biggest kind of day-to-day -day impact is coming from those technologies because the other sort of technologies like contract automation and you know, AI contract review and matter management and all those kind of things um, are, are sort of much... Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk, but actual change on the ground and the way people do work day to day, I don't think has changed that much. But when it comes to those other technologies, that's really sweeping away some old ways of doing things. And I think I think that's great. Awesome. Awesome. And, and, this, and in this topic, I believe that every uh, every country in the world have seen a rise in the, in, in the use of these technologies, these days to days technologies that they are already being deployed uh, for, for five to six years. And. The legal, the, the legal domain has discovered them, and uh, COVID was important to the to, to the business uh, business domain for that because a lot of firms are digitizing themselves right now. So, Anna, what can you say about about Spain? Yes, uh, thank you. I'm in the same page with Dennis. I think, uh, from my perspective, law firms have suffered a huge change in their internal processes before and during the pandemic. So if we have in our mind the, the technology adoption curve, where we can split uh, the, the adopters in, in several groups, innovators, early adopters, pragmatists, and conservatives, we will see a, a process of change in, in the law firms. By the end of the of 2019, most of the law firms were aware of the need of the change to digitalize services. Uh, however, uh, it was and it still is a challenge to convince the practitioners about the adoption of technology as a must. Uh, for the legal business. Uh, they were still thinking that it was not the time yet. Um, and however, some, some law firms started to use uh, IP technology, uh, cloud platforms or AI applied for, for the, the increase of efficiency in their processes. Uh, their efforts were quite huge. However, uh, they just can uh, get the innovators group and the um, the early adopters. Uh, after uh, with with the 
starting of uh, 2020 with the remote work and where the practitioners were that the only channel of communications were uh, the digital way to do it they started to to adopt those uh, those technology that were um, um, available for them so uh, uh, a vast majority of the the practitioners had to use that tools and be uh, uh, a users of, of those technologies and they started to realize the, the importance of, of the digitalization additionally we uh, we 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 are facing uh, a phase where 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 practitioners uh, will be will realize the importance of standardizations fast-paid services with technology and see like the 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 paradigm of uh, uh, less for more for less is is coming to to us uh, or to our, or or sector. So um, now uh, the 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 chain has uh, has uh, has um, developed in a really fast tr track, and we we now we are thinking about how a convert or traditional business in another model based on, on, on technology and, and digitalization. Great, great. So I think it's a, it's a great scenario for uh, uh, the majority of countries. And I would like to ask Barbara, uh, that has already deployed some, some elegant technologies for a, a large number of lawyers. What are the cultural barriers in a law firm to deploy a legal tech solution? I believe they do better than anyone else in here will, will have the expertise to, to say from the trenches how is it to deploy a legal tech solution. Well, uh, wow, that's a huge responsibility. <laughs> but, uh, well, by definition, technology has always been present in our lives, either it's electronic or not. Even law firms uh, that have a reputation of being slow to adopt technology have been adapting the arrival of new technology over the years, either it's uh, the computer itself, fax machines. The, the thing is now we have a huge amount of technology available and we have to deploy new ways of doing things. Yeah, because it, it, it used to be slower, slow in the past, and now it's everything happened at a speedier pace than ever. Even in COVID, was a big, it has a big importance in that as well, as you stated before. So the difficult part is getting the attorneys to be open-minded, to, to change the ways they used to practicing for the past 5, 10, sure. 20 years. And I guess communication is a, a big cultural barrier. I think here in Brazil, not only in law firms, but we're very used to transmitting uh, uh, knowledge orally. So it's, it's some people are more comfortable to say, oh, I, I have this material, but I can tell you how to use it. So people are not <laughs> going to read the whole memo. No, tell me, I'll learn it. You're good. Tell me how you do it. Or you ask for the person who used to work prior to you to, to teach you how to do the job. So yeah. while you do things like this, you lose some things or there's a problem in the communication. Even if you speak the same language, imagine if you're speaking in different countries, but 
living in the same country, having the same language, working in the same firm, and people have to transmit it orally, it has a problem, it has a gap. You're not, you don't keep updated on the new features that we have available. You don't know where to find it. You, now everybody on my firm are working from home. But when we were at the firm, we would say, oh, can you help me? We'd see the IT guy passing around. Oh, come here. Help me with this. Help me click. So you always have someone to help you. And uh, now COVID help, helped us open people, my, people's minds. And yeah. it's more difficult for them to reach out to people to tell them they might as well learn for themselves. But I think the biggest cultural barrier is kind of not having processes standardized and not having things well documented and even if you have them people are not used to reading it because they might lawyers especially they might as well read about the law their their day-to-day -day activities they won't spend time reading about technology so this is a big issue and so uh so what we found at our firm a better way to deal with it well and i i work at a big law firm but this is something that is possible for any size law Firm is having someone to be responsible for looking for new technologies and looking for ways to to translate things to the lawyers or to speak in a way in a format, even if it's just a podcast or ten minutes lecture or something that make them understand. Because the vendors. The, like an ambassador for yes. the innovation. Yes. It doesn't even have to be a full-time job. It's someone that is a lawyer. I started like this. I used to be a practicing attorney, and I started to say things and talk to the managing partners. It's nothing. Oh, does anyone here that wants to be head of knowledge management innovation? No, it's it not like this so I, I when i say this it's for even for uh law students or young attorneys that want to create a path a different path in their career try to learn new things try to communicate try to give ideas this is a moment yeah. that everyone has a voice because everyone is equally uh, reachable because you zoom someone you don't have to knock on people's doors so just to, to answer the question, the, the biggest problem for me, in my opinion, for law firms in general, and especially in Brazil, is the your orality, the lack of standardization, the lack. And there are a lot of things that we can do to make it happen. And we've been doing some initiatives at our firm. And the fact that we have an attorney, a practicing attorney, to, to sparehead these efforts is because I, 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 know, I, I, don't have, I don't want to know how to operate uh, fancy technology, but I kind of, I'm an ambassador. I kind yeah. of can translate. I can see the user experience. I can say, no, our lawyers are not going to read this. Our lawyers are not going to do this. If you click five, ex if you do five extra clicks, yeah, they, won't, they, won't. they would do it. They might as well do the, the, the old way. So it's... <laughs> A mix of having things early and trying to to see the pain points and just thinking about the solution is thinking about ways to solve these points. Yeah, yeah, we have a, a comment from Ideokula saying that the uh, the willingness, the unwillingness to learn, so the learning curve is a very a very huge problem. So we have, uh, if we have an ambassador to ease the process, it. it it's surely a, 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 a great a great step forward to the innovation process. And Anna, how to, as a legal specialist, how to, uh, do we convince lawyers who are usually very traditional to adopt bleeding-edge technology uh, with the amount of risk they use to care with them? Just a parenthesis in here, we have 
bleeding edge technology with high risk but very modern. We have cutting edge technology which is much more standardized, uh, standardized, and we have the, the the leading technology which is uh, a market standard. So working with bleeding edge technology as, for example, blockchain inside a law firm, how do you convince lawyers to to pay the risks of working with it? I think we we have to focus on a broader concept like is innovation. We we can not only focus on technology. We need to focus on innovation and change culture as Barbara said before. So we we will face always uh, in any change we will face people who is resistant. Always and obviously <laughs> If you you have some trained people about that technology, that will help a lot because they have the knowledge enough to have uh, to make decisions. However, uh, you can surpass the resistance through three three strategies. You can get people involved, so you can incentivize the collaboration or the horizontal projects. Uh, and and the use of the of the knowledge to to promoting the innovation, considering everybody's thoughts because everybody's thoughts count in innovation. It's not only about the partners or only about the practitioners. It's about everybody on the organization. So that process cannot be just top down. It needs it needs the the implications of everybody so everybody voices need to be attended and and this is a, a huge uh, and great strategy to to make change alive and and promote the innovation so the, in this way people uh, started to to be curious about blockchain or other technologies and um as i uh, as they get the information the training and everything that they need to implement that technology they will develop some projects the other strategy is to create incentives so any any kind of incentive will help people to to be involved in the in the digitalization so you need to to provide them some uh, specific incentives maybe increase their salaries maybe uh, they, they have a budget for their projects uh, a recognition a public recognition in the company so they will adopt those those technology because they have incentives to do it and the third one, obviously, is co coercion. So if you, as a company, you say you have to use, I don't know, a, a smart contract, you finally, as employee, you will have to do it. However, it's not the, the best way to, to handle these things. Uh, but if, if, we, if we see and we think about the pandemic, it's kind of coercion. We, we must to adopted adopted technology in this in this pandemic so it's a, another strategy for that so i don't like to be i don't like to focus on the risk i think from my perspective it's risky to not update uh, our services to the market it's more it's riskier than to experiment innovation and try to to 
to develop a business in in the in the same pace as the market is demanding so it itself it is plain for itself if we don't risk we can be updating the market so that's it thank you thank you as we have 15 more minutes i would like to make two more questions for dennis and, and professor julio and then we can follow a q a for five minutes so uh, Dennis, making the bridge between between law firms and and the legal tech operators, people who provide and create technology, what do you think are the biggest challenges for entrepreneurs in the legal sectors? I believe that this is a, it's a very daunting task, and I I assume that you have some some things to talk to us uh, to <clears throat> on your experience. For sure, for sure. I mean, I mean, just making a bridge maybe was something that. Um, Anna said that, you know, keeping uh, uh, up with the pace of the market demand. And I think the key point here is that if you think about, I mean, let's, I mean, let's kind of keep law firms aside because law firms are there to deliver to the market, right? So they are only a sort of a pass through to the market. But the, but the market doesn't want legal tech. The market doesn't ask for legal tech. They're asking for results, right? They're asking for lower cost, better efficiency, you know, better understanding of your business, all those kind of things. Um, so I think, you know, legal tech can help to deliver that. But the real sort of challenge, I guess, for entrepreneurs, uh, you know, it's a challenge for, for me and my, my startup, but I think all entrepreneurs in the legal space, whether it's legal designers, legal tech, uh, you know, innovative lawyers, ALSPs, you know, the challenge is how do we get those results? Um, and often legal tech is, the, uh, is an enabler, um, but not only. So, so I'll come back to this point. Um, but let me just sort of, uh, you know, the if you think about sort of kind of the market, you know, it's, it's a really busy landscape. There's lots and lots of uh, uh, new tech solutions from existing players, from startups. Um, you know, the big the, there's a lot of big players throwing a lot of money at some topics like contracts, for example, and and some startups that are getting some huge funding tickets. Uh, uh, as well. So there's some big money going into this thing. Um, and I think that sort of makes it challenging, especially for kind of young uh, startups and young entrepreneurs, because you've got this kind of big tech and small tech. Um, and just like in the rest of the tech world, where this is a really big issue, in the legal space, I think it's it's not such a big issue, but it can become uh, that, an issue like that. Um, in the sense that, you know, it's if you think about purchase cycles, especially with law firms, you know, very long, very difficult and expensive uh, purchase cycles for legal tech. And that favors the big companies and is really, really difficult for uh, startups. So that's just an example already that you see how that environment uh, favors big tech and, and hurts uh, small tech. So that's something that um, uh, the market as a whole needs to be cognizant because, of course, you know, the innovation uh, comes from both, but a lot of that really real innovation comes from that from small tech. Um, I think there's a couple of uh, you know obvious things that you know are kind of big point pain points that entrepreneurs, uh, uh, legal tech entrepreneurs, need to solve. So you know, contracts. How do you get a single source of truth? How do you get self serve? So you get the business to self serve without lawyers. How do you make that easy? How do you um, uh, solve the ROI equation, right? How do you prove that it's uh, worth it? Personally, I don't think, I think it's obvious, but, you know, people still want proof. The ones who are paying the money want proof, right? Um, you, know, how, you know, data, how do you extract the data and all that kind of stuff? So those are obvious things. And obviously everyone's trying to solve them and needs to solve them. I want to focus on a couple of less obvious things. Um, 
that I think are, are really important. Um, the first is the is structured data. There's a lot of tech out there which is all about extracting structure um, and insights from unstructured data, but there's not enough uh, of actual structured data going on in the first place, so creation of structured data. So obviously, matter management and contract automation is doing that, but actually the majority of what companies and law firms do is still creating completely unstructured data, emails, PowerPoints, um, uh, Word documents. 99% of the data out there being created is completely unstructured. So how do you get people to create structured data from the beginning, right, in a simple way, rather than sort of relying on very expensive, complex, and you know, uh, difficult AI to extract the data. So I think that's the first challenge. Um, I think another challenge is this lack, is this interoperability. Yeah. Sorry, Diocletus, I can't hear you. You're muted, Duke. Diocletus is muted. <laughs> if you could summarize in one minute, Professor Giuliano have the time also to, to speak, I would, would be glad. All right, awesome. Let let, let me focus then on the stuff that I think is important that there's not enough focus on. But I think entrepreneurs who can win in this space, I think can, 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 they can be exciting. The first is complexity, right? All this tech is creating a lot of complexity. There's very little simplification. The second, and this is something that someone mentioned, is habits, right? There's a lot of tech that creates bad habits. So less engagement, less collaborative working. So how, do, how does tech create better habits and better ways of working? Um, and then there's this issue of, you know, trust and relationships. How do you get tech to actually create trust and build better relationship and give equality of access? Because not all tech does that. Um, just as an example, you know, throwing AI at contract negotiation might give you efficiency, but it does nothing to engage people with the topic. So I think that's like the big thing that is uh, not talked about, should be talked about, and entrepreneurs should be looking at that. How do you create Great. trust, how do you create better relationship, and how do you get engagement, healthy engagement with legal processes? Thank you. Thank you. Very important concerns. And talking about engagement, I would like to Professor Giuliano say, uh, talk to us about uh, how did the judiciary system, uh, the academy and society can benefit from legal technologies altogether? Okay, I believe that um, I'll give some examples, but I believe that the main drivers for the development of the law tech or legal tech markets uh, in any country, but particularly in Brazil, um, has two main drivers. The first of one is access to the raw material, access to data and access to good data of good quality. And the other driver is actually the ability to develop new and innovative technology. As regarding the first driver, it's crucial to, uh, uh, for the law techs to get closer to the judicial system. For instance, uh, in, um, when I was invited to become uh, an advisor of the National Council of Justice, the main concern of the magistrates were how should they restrict access to data so that they could be co uh, compliant with the uh, data protection law. And then I called attention today that to, uh, to them that the main issue is not there. The main issue is how to implement an open data policy for the judicial system, which is compatible with uh, the data protection law. The European countries, uh, we have, which have a, 
a strong tradition in, in data protection, are struggling now to implement uh, efficient uh, open data policies because this is key to the development of uh, of the market, of the LOTEX market. And actually, the judicial system is the main beneficiary of this new technology. So this is uh, uh, the, the one driver. The other driver is, uh, is the ability to develop technology. And to this uh, tenet, it's important that the LOTEX get closer to the universities and the academic research. I will give a, an example. We have uh, recently uh, my uh, Institute of Research, Logarithm, has joined a, a law tech here in Brazil called Juristec. And together with the Faculty of Law of the University of Sao Paulo, we have developed um, a chatbot to uh, clarify issues about the emergential legislation during the pandemics. Awesome. And now we are developing a module uh, for the elections. And it's not, uh, there is uh, another challenge now, which is to incorporate about the elections, clarify uh, uh, issues about disinformation or fake news. So these are important goals, which have a very uh, important public impact, uh, beneficial impact, that mainly the private sec sector is not interested in, but if the LOTEX join uh, the um, academics and get closer to the academics, these tenets can be uh, together. They can be um, uh, developed together. For instance, in this project, of course, there is this uh, beneficial impact to the, to the society because we developed a, a tool that could uh, clarify issues in, in, a, in a health crisis situation. And now uh, regarding the concern about fake news and disinformation in the elections, uh, we, we have a public interest that may be um, attended and satisfied. And on the other hand, for the LOTEC, uh, joining this project enabled the LOTEC to get access to, um, to advanced research and to... Um, then develop new technology that's going to be incorporated in uh, its product. Uh, not to mention that being together with, the, uh, with uh, an important university and centers of research also projects uh, the, the law tech in the market. This is also an effect that we know that happens. Uh, so there, there are benefits to all. I, I believe then that it's really important for the law techs to get closer to academics and to get closer to judicial systems to find efficient ways to access high quality data for the activity. And I believe that if we inspire ourselves in some big technologies company like Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google, we will see that they usually work very closely to the academic sector because they have a, a, a lot of research to develop legal papers based on AI, and they have made huge, huge groundbreaking advance in, 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 in legal, not in legal technology, but in, in artificial intelligence. And this was only achieved by the partnership with the academic sector. So 
Yeah, thank you for, for founding Logarithm and giving us a, a, a way to reach the judiciary system because I have answered your, your, your question and now we can see the, the, the results, the output of this work uh, regarding to, to regulate all the sector and building a better, a, a better data platform for, for public data. So thank you. I would like to say, I would like to open this space for questions in here. We have three more minutes. So hi, Magnus. Welcome back. Hello. <laughs> yeah, do you have any, any last questions here? Um, do you think interoperability among systems, disciplines, and people can be achieved through trust-based AI algorithms? Secondly, can't we solve the unstructured data problem via more inclusive initiatives and decision-making structures which are all open, all stakeholders from civil society, private sector to academia? So who, who, who would like to start? Well, uh, I, I may give a word on that. Yes, it's very important. Interoperability is key. Huh? So one of the initiatives in, the, uh, in this group at the National Council of Justice is uh, we, we have uh, created a commission there. And one of the challenges is to create a uniform methodology for the metadata of the judicial processes. So then we can have a structured and more quality data. And uh, I am now advising the, um, the court of, of Sao Paulo, of the province of Sao Paulo. And one of the solutions that we are pursuing now is that the uh, use of application programming interfaces should use the same standards as the industry law text already used, so that we would have uh, an interoperability that could be achieved not only within the private sector, but um, um, within the private and the public sector uh, also. So interoperability is key, structured data is also very important. Just a round of speakers, final words, please. Okay, 30 seconds for everyone. <laughs> okay, I'll start. Just to thank you for the opportunity and to make myself available to continue this conversation. I'm, I have my LinkedIn here or email because I love talking about technology, adoption and the future and being in the future series is something that speaks up to me. And just thank you again for the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening and um, to attend this uh, this panel. And uh, be feel free to contact me if you want to talk about legal tech. I'm, I'm truly open. So thank you. So uh, thanks. Yeah, been a real pleasure. I think. Look, the key, a key takeaway for me from all of this is, um, you know. To, uh, legal tech is not just about tech. It is about other things. It is about data. It is about trust. It is about change. It is about uh, people having an open mind. But I think, so I think it's really important for people when they think about, right, I need to improve something. It's not to say, okay, I better go and shop for some legal tech. It's to think about it in a holistic way. Um, and also talk, talk to people who have done it before and it can help, help you do that and think about it in a holistic way. Thank you very much. Well, thank you uh, for the invitation. Thank you, everybody. Uh, please follow our the activities of the Logarithm Institute 
uh, our web page is www.logorhythm.com.br and I invite you, invite everybody. Let me type it. And uh, we have also a page in the Facebook discussing uh, relevant matters on AI and law. And I invite everybody next year for the International Conference on Artificial Intelligence and Law. That's the, the uh, biennial conference. Uh, it's the main one on AI and law in the world. And the next one, the ICAU 2021, is going to happen in Brazil in, at the University of Sao Paulo Law School. So please also follow uh, the webpage ICAU. You can find the, uh, it in the logarithm page. And um, so uh, please come to this conference. It's quite innovative and it's a talk on research on AI and law. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.